Mamma Mia subscribers, you've been asking and we've been listening. Now you can get all of your exclusive subscriber audio on Apple Podcasts. That includes everything from bonus episodes of your favourite pods to exclusive segments to all of our audio series. To link your Mamma Mia subscription to Apple Podcasts, open the Mamma Mia Out Loud page in your Apple Podcasts app and follow the prompts or head to help.mamamia.com.au. You're listening to a Mamma Mia podcast. From Mamma Mia, hi, I'm Claire Murphy. Welcome to The Quickie, getting you up to speed daily. This week, tech entrepreneur Elizabeth Holmes faced court charged with defrauding her company's investors three years after her fairy tale life in Silicon Valley fell apart. A fraud trial has begun for the entrepreneur who claimed she would revolutionise blood testing. Ambition and fame gone terribly wrong. That is the picture prosecutors will try to paint as they make their case against Theranos founder, Elizabeth Holmes. But while this might sound like a standard boring financial fraud case, the story behind how Elizabeth Holmes came to be in this position is more movie plot than dollars and cents, with some very big players, the Obamas, Clintons and Murdochs to name a few. Today, we peer into the life of a tech wunderkind who managed to fool some of the biggest men in business. Move by Mamma Mia is the exercise app for anybody, anywhere. And in case you missed it, we dropped a brand new stretching collection that can be used to improve mobility and bookend your favourite sweat sessions. Mamma Mia subscribers get unlimited access to Move. And we drop new workouts every single week. If you're on the hunt for movement that makes you feel good, head to move.mamamia.com.au and use the code MOVE10 to get $10 off a yearly subscription. Elizabeth Holmes. That's a name you may have never heard before. But for those in the tech and medical fields, her name was said in the same vein as the likes of Steve Jobs, Elon Musk or Mark Zuckerberg. She kicked off her startup company in Silicon Valley in California as an ambitious 19-year-old. Like so many famous entrepreneurs before her, she dropped out of college, prematurely ending her chemical engineering degree at Stanford to concentrate on creating her company Theranos. Elizabeth claimed that she had invented a new technology that would help millions of Americans take control of their own health in a system that was for many too expensive and too difficult to access. Elizabeth is a tall, slender woman with blonde hair and bright blue eyes that seem to blink far less than the average person's. She dresses like a Steve Jobs sidekick, a black turtleneck paired with black slacks and a black jacket. Like Mark Zuckerberg, who famously wore the same thing every day, she says it's to spend less time focused on what to wear and more on her invention. Her voice is deep and calm. I believe... The individual is the answer to the challenges of healthcare. But we can't engage the individual in changing outcomes unless individuals have access to the information they need to do so. 
Her blood test diagnostic machine that she named the Edison, after the inventor of the light bulb, Thomas Edison, was supposed to be able to test for more than 200 conditions using just a tiny vial of blood drawn from a finger prick rather than the large vials needed in a traditional vena draw from your arm using a needle. Not only would it mean less of a confrontational experience for the patient, it would be rolled out at one of America's biggest pharmacy chains, Walgreens, so that everyone could access the results themselves, quickly and easily. It would revolutionise the healthcare industry. Some say she wanted these machines to be like an iPhone, one in every home in America. Investors went mad for it, handing over $700 million. The company, at the height of its popularity in 2014, was valued at over $9 billion. Those investors included healthcare companies as well as high-profile individuals like Australian media mogul Rupert Murdoch. But while Theranos looked very shiny from the outside, inside it was another story. Employees who would eventually turn whistleblower started to realise that the machines didn't work, that you couldn't reduce the process to such a tiny size using capillary blood from a finger and get accurate results. Instead, they purchased commercial blood testing machinery for the Theranos lab and started taking blood the traditional way, telling patients their GP had ordered it. They kept this all a secret from investors. All the while, Elizabeth Holmes and her business partner, who was also her romantic partner, President and CEO Sunny Balwani, told the world that she couldn't share the secret of her technology because someone might steal it. The employees revealed that when potential investors would come through for a demonstration, they would load the blood into the machine, then take them on a tour of the facility, during which the employees claimed they would rush the blood to the lab downstairs on traditional blood testing machines and then return it before they came back. The tests that didn't work out on the Edison machines were discarded. Employees who tried to speak out about the deception were shut down. I finally decided enough is enough. I went into Sunny's office and I said, we're not letting patients know when these results are false or when we make a mistake. And effectively what he did is said, what makes you think you're qualified to make that call and you need to just sit down and do your job? That's Erica Chung. She says after leaving the company and speaking to a Wall Street Journal journalist about Theranos, Elizabeth's lawyers, including the man who would represent Harvey Weinstein, came for her threatening to take her to court for breaching her non-disclosure agreement. Tyler Schultz, another former employee who spoke to the Wall Street Journal and who was also allegedly threatened by the company lawyers, says his family spent up to half a million dollars fighting them before the Journal article was published in 2015 and they forgot about him. He tries to explain how so many people, after all there were hundreds of employees, continued to play a part in the company's fraud, even though they knew something wasn't right. I think of Theranos, I really feel like there were two entirely different worlds. There was the carpeted world, and there was the tiled world. And the carpeted world was where Elizabeth was a goddess. Everyone, you know, almost worshipped the ground she walked on. And then you go onto the tile side, and nothing works. We're on a sinking ship. Everything's a lie. Reconciling the differences between those two worlds was really hard for me to do. I would leave the tiled world thinking, oh man, sinking ship, and I would go have one conversation with Elizabeth, and I would be so motivated to go back and work, and I felt like I was changing the world again. And I would go back into the tile world, and I would go, wait, what just, what just happened? 
By 2016, Holmes's personal net worth had dropped from $4.5 billion to almost nothing as investors pulled their money from the company. On March 14, 2018, Theranos, Holmes and Balwani were charged with fraud by the Securities Exchange Commission. And by September that year, Theranos, the company that had claimed would change the world, ceased to exist. Dr Jennifer Wilson is a behavioural scientist, holistic risk strategist and psycho-cybersecurity expert. Jennifer, Elizabeth started her company with an idea that wasn't quite a reality yet. Is that unusual for startups in Silicon Valley or is that how many begin the fake-it-before-you-make-it idea? Absolutely. Even if you look at businesses outside of Silicon Valley, the success rates for those are unfortunately really quite low. So Silicon Valley just epitomizes startups on steroids. It's like the tech equivalent of going to Hollywood to try to make it big. People get to Silicon Valley, they're full of ideas, And a lot of people are conforming to one big stereotype. So you've got the people that start off in their garages and play around with bits of equipment and build on it from there. And then you've got someone like Elizabeth Holmes, who seems to have gone straight into fundraising from people with big pockets. These are people who have taken risks before. What she's selling sounds very appealing, it sounds very logical, and it sounds like a great deal. There is a lot of that atmosphere of FOMO, so fear of missing out, and there are people who will be really up for that. You mentioned that some of her investors have very deep pockets. We know she's got ties to some very powerful people. Rupert Murdoch was one of her investors. She's been connected with Barack Obama, Bill Clinton, many, many powerful people. What happens then? Do these people have ways of getting their money back? Do they have that much money they just don't care about it? Is it going to be bad for her down the track that she's gotten all these people offside? She has already settled a deal, I think, with the Security and Exchange Commission for committing fraud before. So it's a matter of fact, as far as I'm aware, that she has lied about providing a service and a commodity that in the first instance she didn't provide. For example, she was supposed to have provided the testing machines that are part of her startup to the American military for use in Afghanistan. And she has admitted that none of those units were provided the diagnostic tests that this equipment is supposed to provide, those claims just don't stack up. So she's completely lost her credibility in terms of the product and service that she claims to be offering. For those people with deep pockets, you know, 120 million US dollars is still quite a bit of money in anybody's language. I imagine there'd be quite a bit of disappointment that not only was something that looked like a really good deal didn't come to fruition, but it didn't come to fruition because you were ripped off. That is not comfortable for people who, you know, like Rupert Murdoch, who have very well-established business credentials. So she's lost a lot of her credibility there. I don't see that she's going to be raising an awful lot of money from anyone anytime soon. Jennifer, when we look at the profile of people who commit fraud on a pretty big scale, like Elizabeth allegedly has here, 
There's a lot of names that you could add to that list. The Wolf of Wall Street, Jordan Belfort, the Ponzi scheme king, Bernie Madoff. We've got Frank Abagnale Jr. from the Catch Me If You Can movie, if you've ever seen it. But on that big, long list of notable fraudsters, there are very few women. Does Elizabeth kind of stand out as being someone who wouldn't usually be involved in a scheme like this? She absolutely stands out for being a woman. Fraud is one of those offences where women are fairly successful, both compared to other types of crimes and in the corporate world. In Elizabeth's case, she seems to have developed an entrepreneur's persona on the basis of some very successful entrepreneurs who have gone before her. So her adaptation of the Steve Jobs look, the promotion of herself as someone who was just so smart, so brimming with ideas and so creative that just like Steve Jobs, Mark Zuckerberg, she just had to drop out of college to pursue these fantastic opportunities that she was generating. So she actually modelled herself on people who were successful entrepreneurs. And it's quite interesting to think about whether she was rotten from the start or whether she got herself into a situation, whether she had a dream that was so big and so profound but nonetheless unachievable, and she couldn't get herself out of that hype. Either way, what seems quite remarkable about Elizabeth is her absolute conviction in herself, her recognition of herself as the absolute primary product that was being sold, and being very clinical about how she found her victims. So, for example, when she was at Stanford, one of the academics that she spoke to there about developing a patch that could basically be a dynamic diagnostic on your arm, this academic told Elizabeth that it was not technologically possible to develop The emotional reaction to this academic from Elizabeth was reported as being absolutely blank to the point of being potentially sociopathic. This is where she's been so effective in the stakeholders that she brought on board, in the board members that she brought on board, in the investors that she brought on board, in that she found people that could not spring her for being a fraud. She got people who had very good credentials. She had former secretaries of state that were involved in her venture, but none of these people had the type of medical training that would set the alarm bells off to start questioning whether they were being taken for a ride or not. Speaking of potentially sociopathic behaviour, when you hear the stories of some of the employees who worked for her company, they talk about some serious gaslighting behaviour. They talk about the tiled world versus the carpeted world. So the carpeted world being the offices of all the management and the tiled world being where all those poor scientists were down in the labs trying to make this work. And they say that they would take their concerns to Elizabeth and she would manage to talk them around every time. And they would go back to their jobs 
again, sort of reinvigorated for the cause. It sounds very similar to something a cult leader would do. Would you kind of put her in that category? I think you really nailed it there. And that's what a lot of these Silicon Valley startups are like. They are absolute cults in their dress, in the way they all stand up and give TEDx talks. It's almost as if they've created themselves as the new capitalist messiahs. She has been very effective in doing that, down to copying Steve Jobs with her Isimiyaki-type black crewnecks, the way she followed someone like Margaret Thatcher in lowering her voice. Any woman that's done any kind of media exposure knows that speaking with a high tweety voice doesn't do your credibility much good. Lowering her voice was all part of that, look at me, take me seriously, standing on stage. She touched some very raw nerves with the product that she was selling in terms of there are a lot of people with needle phobias. So it's, I understand you. I'm just like you. I'm so humble. You know, that inference that if somebody's humbled by something, it's because they're so great. So what she was doing was being this benevolent figure in giving them the control that they wanted. Elizabeth Holmes is now facing up to 20 years in prison if she's convicted of defrauding her investors and patients. But the drama surrounding this story continues. The original trial was postponed due to COVID and then because Elizabeth fell pregnant with her new partner, Billy Evans. Then, when the jury selection was underway, a man calling himself Hansen turned up to the court and spent each day casually talking to journalists, telling them he was just an interested bystander who wanted to make sure the media was reporting everything correctly. But when the trial started, that same man turned up as part of Elizabeth's support crew, this time wearing a smart suit. It turns out his real name is William Evans, the business magnate father of Elizabeth's partner, Billy Evans. So what will happen to the girl who gaslit some of the world's biggest names in business? Well, that remains in the hands of the jury. But she's already started her defence, saying it was all her former business partner and lover Sonny's fault, that he was the one really driving the whole thing. So will changing the narrative to Elizabeth being the victim work? Jennifer says, probably not. There's not an awful lot of precedent for sexual abuse and manipulation in white-collar fraud cases. In fact, there's not an awful lot of precedence for mental illness to be a mitigating factor in offending because fraud is such a deliberate act and it involves repeated and often diverse acts. The amount of deception that goes on around fraud and the whole structure that she set up, like you say, this cult-like status that she built up, she was her own business plan in terms of promoting herself as someone credible and not to be questioned. She also set up what was, for all intentions, quite a successful business up to a point. But the fact that that business was so inextricably linked to the fraud really calls into question how much of an influence somebody else could possibly have had on her to do all the things that she did. 
She's a smart businesswoman. She's going to try every tool in her toolbox to save herself from this. So, yes, she can run with that. But the likelihood of that actually being demonstrated as why she did what she did, I would say it's pretty low. That's the quickie for today. This episode was produced by myself, Claire Murphy, and our executive producer, Siobhan Moran-McFarlane, with audio production by Ian Camilleri. Mamma Mia acknowledges the traditional owners of the land we have recorded this podcast on, the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation. We pay our respects to their elders past and present and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander cultures.